Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the mighty name of Jesus. He is our King and our Lord Supreme, and yet somehow, according to the Scriptures, He is our big brother, and He's our friend. These are terms that are used in the Bible. It's kind of odd even to refer to Christ as our elder brother or our big brother, but the Scriptures do, and of course we know that Abraham was called the friend of God, and the Bible says that those that are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. God is a very personal and very close God. When we hurt, we can come to him, and we can trust him with anything. That's kind of, you know, I I had a big brother. I didn't necessarily have a big brother like that. My wife had a big brother, Jeff, like that, uh, that you could go to and, and share your your hearts, and you knew you could trust that your brother was going to look out for you. He, though, is not like our earthly brothers who sometimes fail us, but he is unchangeable, and he is a dependable confidant. He's our rock in the time of trouble. The Bible says that he was tempted in all points as we were, or we are, uh, yet without sin. In Psalm 41, David came to his Lord, his friend, with a deep pain that only he could soothe. So here our call to worship today from Psalm 41. Blessed is he that considers the poor, the Lord will deliver him in the time of trouble. David was the poor man that was being delivered here in Psalm 51. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing, and thou will make all his bed in his sickness. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die and his name perish, they ask? And if he come to see me, he speaks vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to himself. When he goeth abroad, he tells others about it. All they that hate me whisper together against me, and against me do they devise my hurt. An evil disease, saith they, cleaves fast unto him, and now he lieth, shall rise up no more. Yea, my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. 
But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me and raise me up that I may requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. And as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity, and settest me before thy face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Lord, our great friend in heaven... We come before you asking for you to pardon us for the sins that we have committed to hide your face from them, Lord. Lord, as we come into your presence called by you as your sons and servants, Lord, we come here longing to hear your voice. Speak to us, Lord, in this time that we gather together that we might hear you and know what is right, Lord, that you might change us by the words that are spoken. Lord, draw us nearer to you. Make us fit for heaven. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. The children of Israel wore a warring nation. War was at the very core of their identity. As Adam and Eve were told to take dominion over the earth and subdue it, God had told the Hebrew nation that had just been delivered out of the slavery of Egypt to go into the land of Canaan, go to war with everyone that is there. Their mission was to strike down, to cast out, to tread down and drive out everyone. That was what they were supposed to do. You know, if I had heard about Canaan land, it would have been, you know, go in there and eat the grapes. <laughs> go in there and try out some of those figs, you know. Go there and enjoy milk and honey. You know, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go in and you're going to wipe them off the face of the earth. You're going to kill them and cast them down and destroy their cities. Don't make any league with them. Don't be buddies with them. Kick them out. Kind of a dismal future ahead of the children of Israel. No wonder they didn't do it. <laughs> they just... You know, we don't really have a taste for war, honestly. Once you have a little taste of it, sometimes it just becomes too bitter. When they weren't fighting their many foes, their lives were no doubt filled, though, with making weapons and practicing combat and training for their next conflict. That's what they did. They were always fighting. They were getting ready to fight somebody. They were going to fight somebody else. And they were just constantly doing that. Something happens, though, and I really think this is part of why God did what he did the way he did it. We don't know why God does what he does. But something happens, Matt, to people who go to war with one another. And to borrow from a popular phrase in culture, they become a band of brothers. In 1992, the author Stephen Ambrose wrote a book called Band of Brothers about E-Company. Maybe you've heard about it. The 101st Airborne U.S. Army Screaming Eagles who fought together from the D-Day invasion all the way to Hitler's eagle's nest beating the Germans. Now the heart of the story, which was later turned into a miniseries by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks, Honestly, the, you know, it is a war deal, but what it's really about and what guys won't tell you that they like about it 
is about the friendships and the camaraderie that happens between these men. They don't want you to know how men can love each other. Do you know men can really love each other in a strong way? And men that go, go to war together, they love each other like nobody else. War brings soldiers only days before who will total strangers, and he brings them very, very close to one another quickly. I think that was really what God was doing. He gave the children of Israel innumerable wars because their flesh needed that to help them to be knit together. You see, when you're standing toe-to-toe with your enemies and back-to-back with your brother on the battlefield, literally having one another's backs. You know how people say, I got your back. Well, we don't really know what that quite means. You know, till your back is right up against another guy's and you're swinging a sword, you know. And the reason why you don't have to worry about what's behind you is because your brother's over there and he's got his sword. And nobody's going to get you in the back because he's got your He's got your back. An unparalleled closeness comes and ties you together, oftentimes for life. I have interviewed lots and lots of World War II veterans. It's been somewhat of an, a beautiful sort of obsession in my lifetime. And hearing their stories, the common thing among many of these narratives, these tough guys who, you know, uh, killed people and, and blew up things and, you know, is when they get to talking about it, sometimes you see tears welling up in their eyes. And they're not crying over the bad things they saw. They're really missing the men that they knew and that they loved. I have no doubt the depth of love that God blessed his people with for one another, particular during this time in history, came as a result of these wars. And King David wrote about these words at the same time. You see, in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, we hear incredible stories of these uncommon acts of bravery and sacrifice, these stories of valor and the obvious reverence of the courage and love that made them possible. You like to hear them, don't you? Why? Because you're like, I wish that was me. I wish I had a chance to be close to people, to trust people. There's something in us that wants that sort of a depth of relationship. The wonderful thing in the closeness is really, though, what makes Psalm 55 so painful. It's about the horrifying pain of being betrayed. Not by a foe outside the wall, but by a brother within them. Psalm 55 is about war within the walls. As followers of Christ taking dominion over the earth and constantly engaged with an army of spiritual darkness, we too have become a band of brothers and sisters. I know the early core of the church that uh, we had quite a time together. Can't relive old times, but we did celebrate 20 years recently and I remember the early days of a lot of difficulties that we faced together. We kind of felt like we were the only people on planet Earth, and we loved God, and we were fighting against the whole world. Now, we grew up, and we maybe grew up a little bit and learned a little bit about it, but in, them, in those moments, it was very much so like that. The insults and the bravado of our enemies is to be expected, is it not? But the whispers of war within the walls is unthinkable. And it's often unbearable. 
It's in these times, once again, the psalmist reminds us that God is watching. And he hears us as we pour out our hurts to him. You know, God will not leave us and he will not forsake us. And he is a friend, as we know what, that sticks closer than a brother. He will uphold us as we face our own wars within the walls. Amen? As we start off on verse 1 to the chief musician on Naganoth, a maskil, a psalm of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thy face from my supplication. This is a very sad song. Many of us will relate well with this, uh, but the sweet resolution walks us through the valley of the shadow of things we never expect to happen in our own lives. Played on Naganoth, which is stringed instruments of some sort, with the high strains of emotional pain like we might hear at the top notes of a violin, you know, you know, or the dramatic agony and the deep vibrating bass of grief and sorrow, the psalm is another one of David's masculine or proverb psalms meant to teach a lesson. The many pains of David serve us here again. For David was a man who was what? He was acquainted with grief. He was a man of many sorrows as Christ was. He suffered in all points like as we are, even actually more like us than Christ because Christ did it without sin. And David didn't hold up too well. He's actually more like us. I think that's why, I believe I know that's why God had David write the Psalms. Because he was more like us. More often than not, we do not face our temptations well. The lesson of this proverb psalm is plain. Even in the depths of despair that comes from the betrayal of those that we have trusted most, God is with us. If we call, he will answer. And if we trust him, he will heal us. And if it serves us best, he will even avenge. And as we talked about last week, he will vindicate us. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Were the first sung words of this song. David asked God to listen to his prayer, not because he thinks God is busy, like, like uh, hey God, hey God, you know, I know you got a lot to do, you know. No, he's not asking God to listen up because he's busy or that he needs a reminder that it is his duty to hear David, but because David knows he's been guilty of the very sins that others are now inflicting upon him and he doubts whether or not God is even willing to condescend to him because he is now the victim and not causing the affliction. David was a betrayer of friends. Spurgeon says that David's request for God not to hide from him is based in a Hebrew cultural idiom among uh, them that is really not unfamiliar to us. Hide not. It comes from the idiom, uh, when it says hide not, these words, Steve, they mean this. Like, you know how when you have an irritating neighbor that wants to talk a lot? I don't know, maybe you have this, you know. And so you pull in your driveway and, and uh, you kind of act like you don't see them, you know. And you hurry to the car. And, and if that doesn't work, you get your cell phone out. And you're like, yes, yes, phone <laughs> Because you're just kind of like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. You, know, you guys don't know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Do you know this even existed in the time of David? 
okay? And so what David is saying is, don't avoid me. Don't, don't just walk by me like I'm not there. I, I'm here, and, and I know you probably want to avoid me. I know I drive you crazy, oh Lord. That is the spirit which David is coming to God. David knows that he is reaping what he has done. His own sins of betrayal are certainly do him, and yet in the depth of his suffering, he calls on God in humility, intimating that God could righteously avoid his irritating and constant prayers for his deserving afflictions. Anybody ever just afraid to pray because you think, Why should I even pray to get out of this? I made the bed, I should just lay in it. David's kind of there, folks. Don't do that though. You can think that way, but don't do it. You know, God cares about you. You don't exhaust God's patience. So the Bible reminds us his mercies are new. How often? Every morning. Many of us really, really rejoice at that because his, it's necessary for us. God doesn't just go, oh, here comes Ryan again. I wish he would just shut up and go away. You know, that's what we would do. Come on, he's going to complain? He's been doing that to people. It's about time he got his comeuppance. <laughs> That's how that David is feeling about himself. Give ear to my prayer, O oh God. Lord, don't hide from me. I'm, I'm coming before you with my request. Verse 2, attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and I make noise. David is here is asking God to come to him like blind Bartimaeus who called out. Remember this? Jesus is walking. The disciples are there. And he's like, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they said, you need to be quiet. And, he, and then what, is he, what did the Bible say he did? He cried louder. Jesus! He's like, you know what? I'm just going to yell and I'm going to yell louder. He's hurting. He wants God to share his sufferings with him, and he can't remain silent. He moans, it says here. I looked up moans. You know what moans means in the Hebrew? He moans. It says, it says that emotion that comes out as a sound. Oh, he moans. You ever have that? You ever hurt like that? This is some of the bitter bread because it's where the psalm goes. We can... We can sort of enjoy our own sinfulness in a sense that God has patience with us. But the truth is, is where the psalm takes us is a painful place. He's moaning. He's hurting. You know, I've been burned with hot grease on my skin until my skin just like fell off. You know, like that, that hurts. Everybody, that hurts. Yeah. I've been attacked by a dog. I was bitten like all over my body, you know, biting me. I don't even know how many times puncturing, puncturing, you know, you know, cutting me, you know, that was painful. At those times, blood came forth and a place of pain was obvious in this kind of suffering, though, that we're talking about today. There are no wounds to stitch, no ice to apply to the growing bump. Or the pain that emanates, though, here is emanating from the soul. It's a different kind of pain. We don't cry out with a shriek, ouch. We moan with the kind of inner pain. The pain of betrayal is that kind of pain. And no less real, though, than the wounds that blood or bones have been broken. 
And if you felt this, you know what I'm talking about. You hold your hand over your heart and you press down, hoping to touch the hurt somehow, but you can't reach it and you can't comfort it. You moan with the pain of it all. That's what David is doing right here in Psalm 55. In verse 3, we learn that the means of David's betrayal, the source of his pain was not a sword or a dagger or some kind of cudgel. It was a seemingly powerless weapon, but it was strong enough to burn him. As James would tell us later, what does the tongue do? The tongue sets on fire the course of the whole earth. It was the tongue, the end of the verse 2, which mentions the noise, actually seems tied to verse 3 more than the noise of David's moaning. It, or maybe it have a double meaning here in the song that we can't hear because we're not Hebrews. But it's because of the voice. Everybody say, because of the voice. Because of the voice, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. In plain English, what's hurting is somebody said something that hurt me really, really bad. And they said I did something I would never do, and I haven't done, and it just hurts. Anybody know what that's like? Here it is, the voice of an enemy that disparages David and impugns his character, accusing him of something that he has not done. You see, the power of words cannot be overstated for good and evil. With our words, we can speak the word of God and see faith bloom in the hearts of unbelievers. We can praise our Almighty, but we can also cause a war. We can ruin the reputations and even the entire lives of others just by what we say with our mouth. Several times in the past weeks, we have read James chapter 3's warnings and admonitions about this very thing. That's why God wants us to be slow to speak. Because your words can cause a great deal of damage. Verse 4, my heart is sore pained within me and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Words can literally hurt when we hear them. You ever heard something and just as you heard it come out of the mouth of somebody, you just were like... Especially when we hear them about ourselves or even about people that we love. You ever heard like some really bad thing about some person you love and you're just like. We all know the adage sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will break my heart. And if you ever try to look that up, well, no one knows who said it. Certainly not in the Bible, but it's but it's true. As he continues, whatever was said about David did more than hurt him, scared him. Verse 5, fearfulness and trembling are come upon me and horror hath overwhelmed me. It wasn't merely pain, but it was fear that now he is saying is springing forth from the words that were said about him. Apparently, whatever it was, it had horrible implications. If an innocent man is accused of improperly behaving himself towards little children, or a woman is said to have committed a crime punishable by prison or death, what was said to someone might be known to incur merciless wrath or violence. There are things that people say that when they say them about you, very, very bad things can happen. 
You can be a respectable member of a church. You can be a good person. And someone says the wrong thing about you and it, and people might believe it. You're done. Doesn't matter if you did it. Doesn't matter if that's who you are. And folks, this happens every single day. And David's dilemma is right here. We don't know what it was, but we can imagine the horror that is overwhelming him. He wants to run. He wants to fly where he could go somewhere safe. But this was his first thought. You might relate to that. You know, like, where can I run? Uh Uh-oh, you know, I don't know how I can fix this. I mean, I don't know. People aren't going to believe me or, oh, no, this person. You know, when someone close to you says something bad about you, it's a whole lot different than when someone that doesn't know you does because people believe it all the more. Verse six, and I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove for them would I fly and be at rest. Lo, then I would wander off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm. We often imagine that we can run from our troubles. Here, David, who is clearly normally a fighter, right? I mean, if you were going to describe, if you were to ask, you know, one of these little quizzes, was David fight or flight? <laughs> Dave's a fighter, right? And he could stand up to a giant. He could stand up to a lion or a bear. He could stand up to a whole bunch of Philistines. But when this came to him, does he want to fight or does he want to run? Apparently, this is even more scary than a giant to David or a bear. The fighter becomes a flyer. At the end of verse 7, there is a salah or a rest in the music where he wants those hearing or singing the song to stay for a time to contemplate the emotion. I don't think anybody wants to stay here. (laughs) Let's stay right here. You've been accused of doing something so horrible that it's going to completely destroy and ruin your life. And people are probably going to believe it. And you're here and it was your close friend and they betrayed you and you're dizzy at the very thought of it. And so the song stops right there. Let's live here for a minute. Could you please get on with the song, David, please? No, let's live with it for a minute. You know what I'm saying? That's what's going on. That's what, a, that's what this rest in music is about. Stop. Nobody wants to stop here. What they want to do is join David in his desire to run for the hills, to fly in the sky, and to get away as fast as he can because he's overwhelmed. He doesn't even know what to think. In fact, that's what happens when this kind of unthinkable pain strikes at our heart. We don't even know what to do. We don't know where to go. And sometimes we do really dumb stuff. This is what was happening inside of him. And he was confronted with this confusing situation. Who would believe that he could do these things? Why would they say them about him? Because at this point, I don't believe he knows in the song. I don't think he knows who it is. And you know, knowing who it is is not going to make it any better for David. It's bad that someone has said him. But when he finds out who says him, that makes it even worse. Sorry that this is unpleasant. His enemy had for today won the battle by the element of surprise and he had to retreat in shock and terror to gather himself. The war within his walls had begun and he was losing. Because why does a man run? Do you guys remember when 
the prophet Elijah ran from Jezebel? I mean, God had caused it not to rain for three years. God had performed incredible miracles to this man of God. And some woman has the prophet doing what? You know, running as fast as he can. I got to hide. Jezebel's going to get me. As much as he wanted this to be an escape for safety, there are things that there is nowhere to run from. And it did not take him long to realize this. And so David's confession before he comes to God with his earnest request is that this is how I'm feeling. When we pray, do you know it's okay to come to God and go, God, I'd like to run for my life right now. Lord, I'd like to just go somewhere far away. I'd like to get away from everyone because I just can't deal with this. It's okay to come to God with that. And sometimes that's what we need to do. Come to God. What you see in the songs and the Psalms that David writes is he goes through a progression. At first, he's terrified. He's overwhelmed. He wants to run for his life. He's mournful. He's trembling. He's in horror. But do his songs in that way? No. He's teaching us that it's okay to come to God scared. It's okay to come to God confused. It's okay to even say that you want things from God that you really really don't want. Does David really want to run and leave Israel and not be king and go away where there aren't any people and leave the house of God? No, he doesn't. But in that moment, that's how he feels. So in verse nine, he gets pretty emphatic. And I was talking to the men up here about this. And you're going to see why what he prays, I really think he feels great about what he prays here. But I think there's maybe a better prayer David could have prayed. Verse 9, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go about in it upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst of it. Wickedness is in their midst. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. David prays for the destruction of the perpetrator of this crime against him, convicting the slanderer as a person of violence mischief and wickedness he likens them to those haughty spirits who built a tower in nimrod's day to reach if they could the heavens and pull god down from his throne into the violence of the days of noah whose acts caused god to destroy the earth he compares the people that did this to him to those things might be overreacting it may seem harsh to you but it is true that this same spirit of rebellion, though, that built the Tower of Babel and filled the world with violence is the spirit that speaks lies about the people of God and tries to bring them down in the slime pit where these enemies hide in the darkness with their deceiving words. Their aim is to depose you and I from where God has placed us and to treacherously take what God has rightly given to us. It's their schemes, though, to fail. Their languages to be confounded and floods of judgment to wash them down. The drain of ignominy, like chaff, is blown away in the wind. The war within David's walls was a war of words with great consequence and confounding their efforts was what he prayed for. Verses 12 through 14, the reason for the deep hurt and the vehemence against these words said against him is understood better in verses 12 through 14. You don't quite figure this out till you get to these verses, what is hurting him so bad. You see, it's one thing when a Philistine calls you a dead dog, and it's another when your husband, your wife, your best friend, or your fellow church member says it, and he knows it isn't true. 
Here's what he says. He said, for it was not an enemy that reproached me. <laughs> then I could have borne that. I'm saying some, someone out there in the world says something bad about me. Steve Floyzy comes and says to me, you know what? You make me sick. <laughs> you want to make me sick? Just say it, Steve. <laughs> but Steve, we have so much history. And I love you. And we've been together so much. I hate you. You're disgusting. You're vile. You're like... <laughs> It's like kryptonite and Superman, right? You think I'm telling you? Come on. I know you don't want to talk about this, but this happens in your house. When your wife looks at you with disdain or says something bad to you, your husband does or your children do. It's like, ah, I don't think I can do this. Like, I think I want to die right now. Maybe you're all not sensitive like old Pastor Mark. <laughs> on record, I'm a sissy. I will fight a Goliath and I'll fight a bear. But my wife and kids and my beloved brothers in in the church, uh, not so much. It was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. You know, I did something really bad to my brother one time and he like, you know, he wanted to hurt me, so I ran for my life. Like, you, you, is this ever happened to you? You're like, yeah. You know, he said, when someone loves you and you know you've hurt them, sometimes you need to run for your life. Like, just run because you really don't want them to catch you, you know, for their own sake, you know. And so he's, he's giving this playfulness here. I, if it was someone that, that, that hated me, you know, But it was thou, O man of mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walked into the house of God in company. You see, it's much harder to bear the reproach of our closest friends than the general disdain offered to us by strangers. Yelling out the car window as they passed by us with their hateful gestures. Idiot! What do you think you are? We just go, oh, whatever. And we keep driving. Easy enough, right? But when the heavy hammer of those same words come to you from someone who loves you, it hurts so much more. In the case, these words were false and David knew that whoever knew it, knew they were. This is another compounding element. They know that's not true. They've been here day after day, year after year, our entire life. When I have done all this good and they're saying, you never cared about me ever. You're like, yes, I did. You never spent five minutes with me. You're like, five minutes? If I spent, you know, if I spent five minutes, I spent 12 years. People who are very close to you that know all of your secrets and have heard every loose word that you've ever spoken can, if they're so inclined to with those things they know about you, they can really, really get you. That's why. It's very treacherous. Now, none of us can know what really happened here, but the story, there's a story in the headlines this week that I think might be a fun story to, to explain it. You guys heard the story this week about Donald Trump. Have you, do you guys know he's our president? You guys, have you heard about him? And sometimes they even write stories about him in the newspaper. Have you guys seen any of those stories? I think it's funny. There's only one subject in the news. It's the president of the United States. There is no other subject. The whole world could collapse, you know, and it, you know, it all comes down to this one guy, right? 
It's amazing. Who would have thought? No one ever thought about him before. But now that he's president, everyone thinks about him night and day. So this news story, uh, which was made, of course, by anonymous sources. These are the very best kinds of stories. <laughs> but not only anonymous sources, anonymous sources close to the president. See, see where this kind of applies to our subject here? Anonymous sources close to the president say some pretty horrible things. Now, now I'm sure we're going to hear it like for the next 60 days. You're going to be hearing this. Anonymous sources close to the president say this is going to happen so often you should just giggle when you read it. But an article written in the Atlantic, which, you know, this is great journalism, of course, someone who is not going to say who they are, but they're really close to the president, said this, and they really know it's true. We're not going to tell you who they are. So they said that when Donald Trump was in France a little while back, that he had the opportunity to visit a graveyard of World War II soldiers who died in battle serving our nation. And he said, you know what? Why should I go over there? They're a bunch of losers, a bunch of suckers. And besides, you know, uh, it's rainy and I don't really want to get my hair wet. And my hair is so much more important than these soldiers are. I mean, and that sounds like our president. It doesn't really sound like him, you know. So this is the new thing. He hates veterans and uh, he, he, he's like, you know, they're idiots. They're suckers. I mean, I mean, really? Go out there. Die for your country. What a, what a, what a moron. You know, this is totally so like something he would say, right? Now, honestly, when I heard that, I'm like, if I saw a video of him saying something like that, I think I would like, you know. And I'm sure that's why they said it. They're like, if anyone heard these words, then, then they won't vote for him, right? Now, in the eyes of some, I'm sure it already has. They, you know, they have no idea whether he said it or not, but they already, you know, they've, they've made their thing up. Now, so I was trying to think of an example that didn't involve one of my made-up stories, okay? And so uh, that ended up being about one of you and your fictional lives. So, so I'm using this one, okay? So do you know Donald Trump could have actually said that? And it might not really even be bad. And you might go, and I'm not, you know what? He may be the worst guy in the world. I, who knows, okay? But could you imagine this? What if he said it like this? Okay, this is certainly not to make you like Donald Trump. This is just, it's in the news. People are writing stuff about him, and it's interesting to me, okay? But could you imagine if, you know, uh, he's on a tight schedule. He's getting ready to meet with the leader of some country. This is going on. Weather's a problem. Logistics are a problem. He realizes he can't quite fit this visit to this gravesite, and he's and so he knows what people are going to think about him if he doesn't go because he's already said he wants to go and he goes yeah you know you know what i think about these guys they're a bunch of losers and a bunch of suckers you know that's what i think about people who died in the war they're just a bunch of losers like yeah he might have said it like that and if he did he isn't saying he thinks it right he's saying that's what people are going to say and he goes and probably you know i mean it would probably mess up my hair and we wouldn't want to do that right so you see how you could say something, and I don't know how he said it, or even if he's a good or a bad man. But what I'm saying is, you can take the very words that somebody does say that are true, and if they were being honest, they wouldn't deny them. Now, I do know this much about our president. Our president's going to say, he didn't say that, even if he probably did. <laughs> because if he tried to explain himself, they wouldn't hear that. All they would, all they would get is, yeah, I said that. That'd be, that's it. He's the worst guy in the world. Let's take him out and shoot him. You know, well, they're already there, you know. But that's what can be done. Do you know, there are things in your life you do that out of context, people that are close to you can grab those things and they could go, well, you know what Elaine did? <laughs> 
And then you go, Elaine, did you do that? You're like, yeah, I did do that. But I was just kidding or you had to be there or whatever, right? I said things like this. I'll do this because, you know, I hate people, you know, that's why I'm going to do this, you know, sarcastically stating what isn't true, but everybody knows I don't think, but still yet I did say them. Anyway, that's what kind of hurt David is dealing with. He's dealing with something someone said about him that may have a semblance of truth to it. But it's only meant to hurt him. And he knows now that it's not just by someone out there. For anyone to have heard me do that or say that, they, they actually were in my house. They were in the Oval Office because, man, I did say that. Mm. When something is said bad about us, we often say, who said that? I want to know who said that about me. And the truth is, we really don't want to know. Finding out, honestly, oftentimes is more pain. But it was thou, old man of mine equal. So now he's singing to the guy. It was you, buddy. My acquaintance, my guide, my equal. We took sweet counsel together. We walked under the house of God in company. And this is another thing that compounds the pain. Now the good memories shared with this person become part of the pain. Remember that time we went fishing together and I thought we were so close and I told you the secrets of my heart? Oh, you were writing them all down so you could destroy me with them. Thank you. And you're just like, oh. And then you're trying to remember what in the world, what's, what's next? What's next? The agony of the suffering David has endured and how he needs help from the God because, because he's suffering. This is real life. This is really what's going on with David and he's suffering it. Does any of this relate to you? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Obviously, he's so hurt in agony. Here's what he says in verse 15. Let death seize upon them. Let them go down quick into hell for wickedness is their dwelling. Now, obviously, he's so hurt and angry that he wants them to die. Now, this is David's honest feeling. Once again, is it wrong to bring our honest feelings to God? No, it's not. But I hope that none of you pray a prayer like this about me. I go to church with you. I'm your friend. I hope no one prays this about anyone that goes to this church. But it can be where we go with our hurt, too. It is what we do. David's defense, he's not praying for an opportunity, though, to kill him himself or to take matters into his own hands. God knows if we ask him for what is inappropriate, he's not going to do it. Doesn't it say that? We have not because we ask not. Or we ask what? We ask amiss. David wanted the madness to stop, and he could not see how it could stop unless his accuser was dead. God has ways of changing the hearts of men, though, and bringing them to repentance and even helping them to be even closer to us than they had been in the midst of the confession and the contrition. This is God's way. God, you know, we can hurt each other. And even through those hurts, God can draw us nearer to each other if we come humbly to one another. But this person did not come. Verse 16 and 17. As for me, though, I will call upon the Lord and the Lord shall save me evening and morning. And at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Can you see where the prayer is taken? He's struggled with it. He wants him to die. He's hurt. He thinks God's not going to listen to him because he's done horrible things too. But he's still doing what? He's still bringing it to God. 
Are we praying, church? Do you bring these kind of hurts to God or do you carry them around and just share them with everybody? Folks, you can't cast this kind of care on other people because the people that love you, when they hear it, it hurts them and it hurts you. God hasn't called us to go around and tell everybody about all the hurts that other people have done to us. Don't do that. If people have hurt you like that, take it to the Lord. This is where David comes to a much better place in prayer. Oh, evening and morning and at noon. I'm going to pray and I'm going to cry aloud to you and you're going to hear me, Lord. I'll call upon you. You're going to save me, Lord. Sometimes we just need to pray through. We see often in the Psalms, David starts in one place and he ends in an entirely different one. He's now not trembling with fear or shuddering in horror, quaking with the ramifications. He's not even focusing on what he wants to happen to his false accusers now. He has just now done what? He's taken them and he's put them in the hands of God. Folks, I'm telling you, when you wrestle in prayer with God, ultimately the people that have hurt you, what you've got to do is wrestle them out of your own hands and go, God, here they are. Because God knows if they need to be smitten off the earth or struck down with lightning and made a greasy spot. God knows. If maybe he's using this to change your heart and change theirs, God knows what we don't know. Here in verse 18, he now recalls the goodness of the Lord at other times, remembering God's faithfulness. This is a much better place for David in prayer as he takes God. And he goes out of the place of worry and into a place of remembrance and trust. Verse 18, he hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. This is what God's done before. And you know, God was doing it right now in prayer. You know, he's delivered me before he's delivering me right now. For there were many with me. He's reminded that, you know, not everybody abandoned me, you know. He gives thanks for those who stood with him at this time of trouble. A friend in time of trouble is a true friend. Those who abandon you quickly as soon as someone says something bad about you is not and has never been a true friend. I hadn't seen or talked to my wife in eight years of uh, time and, and, and someone had said something really rough about her. And when I saw her and talked to her, I immediately was like, just so you know, I don't believe anything like that. I don't think you're capable these kind of things, friends who go, hey, you know what? I'll have to see you do that before I believe you would do something like that. Friends, trust each other. That's how you have your friends back. That's why we're married today. Because I trusted my wife. I trusted her as my friend before she was ever my wife. In hope, David continues in verse 19 to yet another pause where he considers the goodness of God. He had them pause in the middle of his horror. And now he wants them to pause in the middle of the resolution to remember God's goodness. Verse 19, God shall hear and afflict them. Even he that abideth of old, he will do it. And then he puts another Selah. Sometimes we need to just camp. You know what? God is going to deal with it. God is going to take care of this. He always has and he will. That is a place we need to come to in prayer. Because they have no changes, he says, therefore they fear not God. Those that fear God do not always continue in the same sins. They do change. God can help them. And when they don't change, we know that they do not fear God. And their fates are certain. Verse 20. 
He hath put forth his hand as such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. The evil is at war with us even when we are at peace with them. And it is him who has sinned and violated the friendship and not me. You know, oftentimes when we suffer and people betray us, where our heart goes next is, what did I do? How did I go wrong? I probably did something to deserve this. I can tell you right now, in counseling, so many people that have been sinned against, that's where they end up going. And I'm telling you, that's not where to go. When people hurt you, it's not your fault. Nobody signs up to be hurt by others. Nobody deserves to be hurt by others. But David is, he understands this. This is what David says to reassure himself. We often take responsibility on ourselves that doesn't belong. We haven't always done something that deserves bad treatment. It is, however, human nature to blame ourselves. And David continues as he describes this. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but there was war in his heart. He is reminded that he was not unrighteous. He was being a good guy, (laughs) but he believed the guy. Why? Because he sounded like he cared, because he treated him like he meant something to him. But what did he have? He had a bad motive. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but there was war in his heart. His words were softer than oil, but they were like drawn swords. David reminds himself that they were deceitful, filled with hate from the beginning, and they were set to destroy him. This was a trap laid for him, not a pit that he made for himself. When people do this, we often find it hard to trust others and unwilling to share our lives with them. But this must not be what we do, folks. When people hurt you that are close to you, don't stop loving people. I wrote a poem when I was a kid, a kid of 15. It's pretty heavy duty for a kid of 15. I know some of you kids write poems, but I remember there's a line in a poem that says, but I will keep loving, loving stronger yet, not living in fear of what may come to be. My heart is set. And it was a poem about when people hurt you, don't stop loving others. God has called us as brothers and sisters to be knit together in love and love must trust. It goes hand in hand. And if we are truly to be a band of brothers, we must come through the war within our walls, calling on God to save us, remembering his many past salvations and praising him. As David closes this song, he invites all of us as Jesus did with these very words, because the war within our walls is often a burden that we can't bear. We certainly don't need to bear it. He says here in verse 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee and he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. You see war within our walls is a burden too heavy for us to bear. But when we come to this thing, we don't need to despair. We go to God in prayer as Peter told us, In his readers to do in his first epistle, he says this in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all of your care upon him because what? He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, seeks whom he may devour, whom resists steadfastly in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren. Why would he put casting all your cares and then be putting this stuff? Folks, the care that is put on us is as ravaging as a lion that is after us to eat us because it will allow bitterness and despair and it causes us to recoil and not trust others and it will, it will render us 
ineffective in the body of Christ. Verse 10, but the grace of the Lord who hath called you into eternal glory after you have suffered a while, he will through these things establish you and make you perfect and settle you to him be glory. God establishes his people and they shall not be moved and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Verse 23, thou, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in thee. David reminds himself of the truth that the end of all of deceitful men and deceitfulness itself, men who refuse to repent, we can trust that God will ultimately have his way with them. So many times in the Psalms, the songs point us back to the very first Psalm that tells us about our future as the blessed people of God, but it also tells us about the wicked of heart. We're told that the blessed man will be like what? He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let us lay down our burdens today and in the, the days where there is war within our walls, casting this unbearable care on our Lord Jesus Christ, for he cares for us. Let us pray. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.